At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Diva Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel. And today we're going to talk about IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And you may already be familiar with something called the low FODMAP diet. I've talked about that in previous episodes. And although the low FODMAP diet can be very effective in relieving symptoms of IBS, it's not necessarily appropriate or even doable by everyone. Joining me today on the podcast is Beth Rosen to talk about some possible alternatives or even refinements to the FODMAP approach for managing IBS. Beth is a registered dietitian. She specializes in GI nutrition and also disordered eating. And she's designed techniques and programs that help chronic dieters, disordered eaters, and those in eating disorder recovery to mend their relationship with food and their bodies. Welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thanks so much, Monica. I'm very glad to have you here today. I know this topic is of interest to a large subset of my followers who may have been diagnosed with IBS, but also those who may just suspect that they may have it, or they've experimented with the low FODMAP approach because they experience frequent digestive distress that seems, well, for lack of a better term, IBS-ish. <laughs> but Before we get into more detail about what the low FODMAP diet is and why it may actually not be the best approach for everyone, I happen to be corresponding with a listener over the weekend, and she asked me to ask you this question. Why is it that we seem to lose the ability to digest or tolerate certain foods as we get older, that these digestive symptoms can appear in our 30s, 40s, or 50s with foods that we didn't used to have any trouble with. Do you have any ideas about that? I think it comes from a host of reasons, right? So um, certainly we have hormonal changes as we age, especially women, that could impact our microbiome, which are Mm. the microbes that live in our gut and actually all over our bodies. Um, And we're doing a lot of research now, and we as the scientific community doing a lot of research on the microbiome now to really understand how it works to help us and how it might work to harm us. And there may be parts of it that um, play a role in why we lose certain functions as we age. Um, There are some that are common, like 
lactose intolerance, like having mm-hmm. an issue with dairy. Um, that's common for a lot of folks. Uh, and that's really um, a change to the um, ability to to produce it on the tips of the villi and the small intestines that can come just from, you know, wear and tear, or it can come from um, a, a GI infection, or it can come from mm. a disease like celiac disease. So there are so many different reasons that I don't know that we could pinpoint just one or really stop it from happening. I don't know that we have all that information yet. Right. Well, it is, that's fascinating about changes in the microbiome as we age affecting our digestive function. And we also know that our genetic programming plays out differently as we age, you know, the way our genes express themselves. But at least it's reassuring to know that that's not necessarily just in our heads, that there's something real going on there that may cause changes in our digestive function and capacity as we get older. For sure. Yeah. For my listeners who may not be familiar, they haven't heard every episode that I've ever recorded, can you give us just a really quick and layman-friendly overview of FODMAPs? Why do we care about these? Yes. So the low FODMAP diet, it's an acronym FODMAP, and it's a bunch of scientific names (laughs) for things that are called fermentable um, carbohydrates. And we can't look at a carbohydrate and know whether or not our microbes are going to ferment it or not. By fermenting it is they eat it and they turn it into gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that causes bloating and gas and discomfort. And some for some people that discomfort triggers um, constipation or or diarrhea or mixed bowel habits. So that can happen. There are also um, FODMAPs that are osmotic. So if you go back to your biology days, um, through osmosis, a big molecule in the um, in the large intestine causes a need for a balance of fluid. So water gets drawn into the gut, which mm-hmm. can cause bloating um, and diarrhea. So, um, and certainly abdominal discomfort to have, you know, stuff in your intestines you don't necessarily need. So these fermentable carbohydrates for people with IBS, because everybody eats these and everybody's bodies microbes do these things, but because of some additional symptoms or additional um, markers for IBS, those of us with IBS feel them. So um, there's something called visceral hypersensitivity, and it's basically where a small amount of stimuli will trigger a big reaction. So these tiny little carbohydrates that, you know, by the time they're chewed up and digested, they're really like, you know, two millimeters big by the time they pass through the intestine and broken down and, you know, all the nutrients absorbed from it. And these microbes, which are tiny, you know, 10,000 live on each cell of our body. So that's how tiny they are, um, are wreaking major havoc to our, um, our quality of life, actually, um, by, by, you know, eating these things as their fuel. Now our body needs them because we want to feed those microbes, but we want to do it in such a way where we're not disrupting um, our quality of life. So for people with IBS, um, the low FODMAP diet is used um, as a, as a three phase diet. And I don't know that everybody gets this instruction, which is, you know, why it's important to work with a dietitian when you are, um, when you're prescribed this diet, but the elimination phase, which is the first phase, is only two weeks long. And that's where all of the um, 
fermentable carbohydrates are removed from your diet, a dietitian will instruct you on what those foods are. There, there's an ever-growing list, an ever-changing list, so it's important to work with somebody who knows this information. And after those two weeks, if you see a market change, then you move on to reintroduction, and there is a method to that. And then the third phase is personalization phase, where then you're eating all the low FODMAP foods plus the high FODMAP foods that you were able to successfully reintroduce. And if you don't have success during that elimination phase where you don't see any different, then food is not the trigger and the diet is abandoned. And I think that's important for people to understand too. Yeah, that's important. It is not always uh, the problem. And then discovering that allows you to move on to other possible causes and other possible solutions. So FODMAPs are constituents of food. They're throughout the food supply. We all eat them, but some of us are more sensitive than others to those unfermentable carbohydrates. And what I also want people to hear is that they are present in varying amounts in foods. So some foods have a lot more FODMAPs than others. And that's the point here. We want to eliminate those foods, at least temporarily, that are very high in those so that we can kind of create a blank canvas in order to, because each one of the letters in FODMAP, F-O-D-M-A-P, stands for a different category of fermentable carbohydrate. And I've uh, heard GI specialists say that there very few people are sensitive to all six. It's usually two, three that are causing the majority of the problem. And that's what we're trying to Yes, and so in that reintroduction phase, right, is which of those categories are really causing the lion's share. And that's why getting stuck in the elimination phase leaves you with an overly and perhaps unnecessarily restricted diet. So it's really important to move through those second two phases. Yes. And even within the categories of FODMAPs, you might have sensitivities to some and not all. So it doesn't mean you'll need to avoid them all. And in Mm -hmm. addition to that, as your gut heals from the experience of being overwhelmed by so many high FODMAP foods, even if you have an unsuccessful reintroduction, that's not a food you need to eliminate for the rest of your life, just for another about three months and and then then try try again. again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And and that's a great example of how uh, working with our guts, we can actually improve our digestive function. It's not always just a, a downward <laughs> spiral right. as we age. We can actually take steps to improve our gut function. But what I also want people to hear is that this is not necessarily a DIY project. It is tricky. It takes a lot of expertise. It takes a lot of guidance. And so for those who are wanting to get the most out of this approach and end up with the healthiest diet at the end of it are really strongly recommended to work with not just a nutrition professional or registered dietitian, but one who actually has a lot of experience in dealing with IBS and applying the FODMAP approach. Yes, I would agree with that for sure. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. 
Seventh Generation Laundry Detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation Laundry Detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But you've also said that this is not necessarily the best approach for everyone. Um, Now, those who discover that foods are not actually their triggers, that would obviously be one category of people that the low FODMAP diet isn't the best approach for. But who else might not be a good candidate for this dietary approach? There, there are a number of folks that it's not, um, it's not appropriate for. So the first group are those without a diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome. Hmm. So it's very important that if you think you have it, to go see a gastroenterologist and rule out any alarm features, anything that might not be IBS, anything that might be a structural issue like celiac disease or um, inflammatory bowel diseases. You want to make sure that you're ruling out all of the stuff that um, needs to be treated with medication or other other diets before using the um, the low FODMAP diet. So mm-hmm. that those without an, a diagnosis should not be treated with this. We don't play around like that. We send we send back to the gastroenterologist. Another group would be those who have been diagnosed with eating disorder or those who have maladaptive eating patterns. So if you have a if you you know know that you are a very picky eater or your diet's very limited, or if you know that you have some issues with food or concerns about your body or you've been you know yo-yo dieting your whole life, that may, this may not be appropriate for you. It may trigger some um feelings of wanting to restrict more or fear of food. And that's that's not um, a good thing. So we want to make sure um, that those folks get treated first. Mm-hmm. Uh, another group are those that are already following a dietary intervention that may contra, like uh, be contraindicated with a low FODMAP diet so or create too much restriction. So maybe somebody who's diagnosed with something else like um, we see a lot of folks who are diagnosed now with a histamine intolerance. Well, low histamine foods are high FODMAP. So that would be contraindicated. There are other ways to deal if um, if you're diagnosed with both, there's other ways to deal with it. Again, seeing a registered dietitian and creating a team with your um, gastroenterologist is really helpful. Um, yeah, because groups- it's not uncommon for people to have multiple GI sure. diagnoses. And yeah, you start overlaying too many dietary prescriptions, you end up with, you know, four foods on your allowed right. food list. And that's or, not, or cool. not even a dietary intervention for a GI issue. Maybe they have something for their heart or their kidney mm-hmm. or, you know, or, right. or diabetes or something else. Right. And yeah. it may already feel very restrictive and, and challenging. So we don't want to add more challenge or confusion around food. Well, and that's why it was such good news to me to hear that there actually are some non-dietary interventions that can be utilized here. But before we dig into those, I just want to pause quickly um, because I 
I was also interested in something that I hadn't heard of before I saw your presentation known as the FODMAP Gentle diet. Yeah. Can you just yes. give us a quick sketch of what that's about? Yeah. So the low FODMAP diet has been around probably for over a dozen years now, and it was uh, created by a group of scientists at Monash University mm-hmm. in Australia. And this group of scientists have not stopped researching this diet since they started. And one of the things they found a, a few years ago in 2019 was they were able to sort of track what were the most common um, high FODMAP food triggers for folks and created a list of about 15 of them that um, they compiled into what they call the FODMAP gentle. And so these are sort of the worst offenders. The most common offenders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the... For for dietitians who have experience with this, we might meet somebody who doesn't meet the full criteria for using the low FODMAP diet, but we don't need to send them on their way. We may move into something called the FODMAP gentle, where we go through the list and we um, only eliminate these few foods for a you know two week period, just like the original diet, mm-hmm. and also offer maybe some substitutions. Um, for instance, if uh, milk is restricted in this, um, we may say, well, you can have lactose free milk because it's really the lactose that's restricted, not right. the dairy itself. Yeah, so it and that just seems so liberalized. so much more approachable. A list of fifteen foods, at least as a first shot across the bow. You know, let's mm-hmm. see how far we get with this. Yes. Then, what can be a very overwhelming and intimidating list of all of the high FODMAP foods. And I also just so appreciate that the folks at Monash having introduced this tool into the world, as you say, they haven't stopped. They're continuing to research, learn more. And so our understanding of this continues to evolve and be refined. And Yes. And that, and they're still researching food. So that's why it's so important not to take that one page handout, yeah. you know, <laughs> and as run the end of it. the story. Right. Right. Because there's so much more information that comes out all the time, like weekly, there are changes. That's how often they're, they're updating their information. Right. And because we can't all stay on top of every new development in every field of nutrition, you know, that's where having specialties mm-hmm. is really, is really useful because we can trust folks like you to stay on top of those weekly <laughs> evolutions. Right. But let's do talk about some of the non-dietary interventions that you found to be helpful, um, either in combination with or even as an alternative to mm-hmm. something like the low FODMAP diet for people that for whatever reason are not good candidates for that, such as cognitive behavioral therapy. How does that work? Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, you might've heard of it as just plain old therapy. You know, people go to therapy and this is what their therapists Often what use. they're getting. Yeah. Right. And really what, what, Cognitive behavioral therapy is, is a focus on identifying and changing negative thoughts and behaviors that may be exacerbating symptoms. So besides FODMAPs, other things that can trigger GI issues in, in IBS is stress. Um, and also mm. lack of sleep or, you know, a change in sleep habits. So if your anxiety or stress, whether it's related to your work or your family or even what food you're eating can impact how your gut's responding. So there's this there's, you know, a couple of um, psychotherapies, this being one of them, that's very helpful because it provides education to patients to understand how um, stress and IBS are related to each other, and then teaches them how to challenge those negative thoughts around their symptoms and gives them some tools for how to change how their body's responding, whether that's 
diaphragmatic breathing or meditation or progressive muscle relaxation. There's a bunch of techniques, but overall, this is this is backed by research and it helps improve symptoms and quality of life. And it has nothing to do with changing diet. Right. Because I can imagine if you have suffered from IBS, the first twinge, the first little cramp could set off, you know, a cascade of emotional responses, stress responses. Oh no, you know, this is going to get worse and worse that could actually fuel those symptoms. Whereas kind of interrupting with the, okay, I feel a little sensation here, no need to panic, could maybe even divert some of the progression of those symptoms. Is that, am I hearing that right? Yeah, it breaks that vicious cycle. Right. So I know that CBT sometimes comes with little caboose initials, like we've talked about CBTI for insomnia. Do we have Mm -hmm. one for GI? Is it CBTGI or something like that? It is. Okay. Good guess. (laughs) Good guess. (laughs) So if you are interested in that, that would be your Google search, CBT hyphen GI to find out more about practitioners that are specializing in that. Right. You might also try um, roamgipsych.org where there are lists of GI psychologists who specialize in, uh, in this therapy. Thank you for that. And finally, tell us about the role that digestive enzyme supplements may be able to play in managing IBS symptoms. This is a question that comes up a lot in my community just in a sort of all-purpose way, like do we need to take digestive enzymes in order to better digest and absorb our food? Do we need to take them when we get older? You know, do our bodies become unable or less able to produce those enzymes on their own? And and we've we've tackled those questions as they've come up, but this is more specific. What about Mm -hmm. using digestive enzyme supplements specifically for IBS? Can we use supplements to break down those FODMAPs so that they don't cause as much trouble? Well, in some cases, absolutely. So hmm. if we find that uh, once we go through the, um, well, we could do it in two ways. One is you do it with the diet and one you do it without the diet. So if you're doing it with the diet, you go through elimination, you go through reintroduction. When you get to the personalization phase and you find out which are the foods you have been unsuccessful at reintroducing, while you're waiting to try them back, or if you know for sure that you have a lactose intolerance because you've been diagnosed with one, there is a breath test for it, um, you can use lactase, which is a, a enzyme that breaks down lactose into simple sugars that are digestible. Now, our bodies make lots of enzymes um, and enzymes are proteins. So if we don't use them, they get broken down just like protein would. It's not a chemical. It's not a drug. It's an enzyme. So if our body needs it to um, to break down something, it'll use it. And if not, it'll just get digested and broken down naturally. Um, so lactase is one of those examples and they're easy to find, um, you know, in any drugstore. And that could be really helpful for folks that have issues with dairy products when it comes to the lactose concentration in those products. So you would need to, as with everything in nutrition, we need to match the solution to the problem. So you would need to match the enzyme to the particular compounds that your body is having trouble with. Is there an enzyme for each of the FODMAP compounds, molecules? So there is one for lactose. There is one for um, the galacto-oligosaccharides, or that's, that falls into the um, oligosaccharides, the O has mm-hmm. two. They have galacto-oligosaccharides and fructans. So there's two in that group. Um, so alpha-galactosidase, which people might know as Bino, Bino enzyme, right. that enzyme helps to break down um, just 
what, you know, helps with like beans and legumes. That's where galacto oligosaccharides hang out or GOSs hang out. So um, that would help with that. And um, there is another enzyme, which is, um, which was just introduced. Um, it's been tested in the lab. It's called fructan hydrolase, and it helps to break down the fructans. So fructans are found in garlic and onion and wheat and foods ah. from that category. Um, this is not something that's um, made in the body. It is, you know, something that you would have to take to break these down. Not everybody um, needs this. You know, some people can tolerate those things, but for people who don't tolerate it. It's a great option. There's one company that makes it. And actually the company that makes it, they make it in a blend with alpha galactosidase and lactase. So it's like a FODMAP huh. um, digestive enzyme mix and that's FODZYME. Okay. Um, but there is no um, enzyme yet for sugar alcohols or polyols, the P. So mannitol, sorbitol, xylitol, those you'll see um, in some fruits, you'll see them in candy and gum and mints and things like that, um, in mushrooms and um, cauliflower. So unfortunately, we don't have anything yet, but the science is being developed. So hopefully in the next few years, we'll see that as well. Now, I I have, I have smart listeners and I, I can already anticipate a question that they're going to have because they know that the stomach can be a very inhospitable environment uh, because of the acid. And so they're going to want to know, how do we know that those enzymes actually make it all the way to the large intestine in order to, or where do they do their job? And is it they an do, issue? Yeah, it's a good question. They do do their job in the stomach. They, this, uh, um, this, these enzymes um, are readily available. So they typically come in a tablet so that they break down right away when they get in the stomach. And actually we have enzymes that break down carbohydrates that start in our saliva. So a lot of digestion of carbohydrates starts in our mouth. Um, Which is why we want to chew our food thoroughly, people. Right, <laughs> right. So, um, but there are other enzymes that exist in the stomach. Not all things are broken down or killed off by by the acid in our stomach. Okay. Some, some helps with the digestion. The purpose of that acid is to help with the breakdown. So there are enzymes in there as well. Okay. So these digestive enzyme supplements are actually doing their job in the stomach and they're designed to be functional in that environment. Yes. Yes. And then once those, once those foods are broken down, absorption takes place in the small, the small intestine. Right. And then by the time they get to the large intestine where the microbes are with any luck, we've reduced the amount right. of material there that is going to cause unpleasant symptoms. Yes. Beth, this has been so helpful, so informational. I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing your specific expertise in this area with us. It's been my pleasure. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> and I could talk about it with you all day. But for those who want to learn more about Beth's work and her philosophy, I want to invite you to go to her website. It's BethRosenRD.com. And she's also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And her handle is at BethRosenRD. Thank you for making that so easy for us. Mm -hmm. And you also have a wonderful resource that's available for free on your website. It's a sort of a workbook that can help you um, learn what your triggers are and sort of collect the information that you would need to work more effectively with your physician or with your nutrition professional to craft a personalized solution. Yes, that's right. It's downloadable. You can print it, 
take your time, fill it out so that when you do go see a physician or a dietitian, you'll have your whole story ready to share. And then they can hit the ground running with um, helping you find solutions quickly rather than repeating what you might have done in the past. Right. Great. Well, we will include a link right to that resource uh, on our show notes, but you can find that just by going to Beth's website, which again is BethRosenRD.com. Thank you so much, Beth. I hope you will let me put you on speed dial for all of my GI questions going forward. Of course, Monica. If you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future episode, you can email it to me at nutrition at quickanddirtytips.com. You can also leave me a voicemail at 443-961-6206. Nutrition Diva is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Nathan Sams with script editing by Adam Cecil. Thanks also to Holly Hutchings, Davina Tomlin, Morgan Christensen, and Cameron Lacey. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.